I'm Pat McKay, and this is Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. That is our focus. That will always be our focus, because that is how we like it. It pleases us. I have two guests with me today, Jeff Stolte from Providence Ventures and Benjamin Zaniello, MD from Collective Medical. Thank you both for being on the program. Thanks for having us, Pat. I'm excited to be here. So, Dr. Benjamin A. Zaniello, um, can I call you Ben or, or, or even Baz? I've seen you sign off your emails with Baz, which are fantastic initials. <laughs> you can you can really call me whatever you want. Certainly, my patients have run the gamut from Doctor Z, Z, Baz, Ben, and then a lot of other things. I probably shouldn't say on our podcast. <laughs> I'll stick I'll stick with Ben. We're just we're just now getting to know each other. I won't be as so presumptuous as uh, to, to to go further than that. Um, but Ben, you're a practicing infectious disease physician and technologist focused on healthcare innovation. I've never met an infectious disease doctor before. So here's my big question for you. Have you ever had to put on a hazmat suit while racing the clock in order to develop an anti-serum to save an entire city and or planet? That's what I want to know. So either unfortunately or probably fortunately, I have not had to put on a hazmat suit in order to create a serum to save a city and or planet. You do actually, in my line of work, put on a fair amount of kind of hazmat equivalent suits. And certainly in the heady times of Ebola a couple years ago, there was a lot more hazmat suits uh, going around. Fortunately, being based in Seattle, we were not the Ebola epicenter for the United States. But I want to point out for the record that Providence was ready. (laughs) <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad to hear that that in Seattle we're relatively more safe than potentially other markets. Um, ben, you have a medical degree, obviously, uh, but you also have a master's in public health from practically right down the street at the University of Washington. And you, after seeing the benefit that both the health system and patients at Providence St. Joseph received from Collective Medical, left your leadership role at Providence to become Collective Medical's chief medical officer. Now, that's, that's, that's quite an endorsement for, for any company. Uh, when you like their work so much, it makes you actually want to go and be their CMO. Tell me a little bit about that and tell us about Collective Medical. Sure. It's interesting in the practice of medicine, you get, uh, you get to have two relationships with patients. I think pretty, people are pretty much familiar with the very straightforward doctor-patient piece where you close the door, close the curtain if you're in the emergency room, and have a direct dialogue with the patient about what you've seen, um, what you've heard, uh, the labs you've uh, looked at, and the best pathway for their care. Um, that is actually how I first encountered Collective Medical, which is in the emergency departments across Washington State, which is the first uh, deployment of Collective Medical technologies, and in particular in Providence Hospitals, where uh, in the Tri-Cities in Spokane in Washington State, where our technology now almost 10 years ago got its first opportunity. 
But what was particularly interesting for me is that second piece about medicine uh, and why I don't just practice medicine, but work in the technology space and work in population health is that when you're outside the door and not directly with the patient, you're thinking about patients, not just as individuals, but from a social perspective, a group of patients and how best to manage care for that larger group. And what I think has been exciting about what Collective Medical does is we focus on care coordination at the individual level. So strengthening that doctor-patient relationship, closing that information asymmetry that often so often drives care. But we also allow you to manage that doctor-patient relationship at a population health level so that not only are you making that individual very transactional emergency room primary care relationship better and stronger and delivering better outcomes, there is an opportunity to do it at a population health level. And this, of course, is really important these days with value-based care and understanding that healthcare is a zero-sum game and we are paying more than any other society for our healthcare, but don't necessarily have the outcomes that match that spend. So as, um, as a practicing physician and working with my patients and wanting for them to have the best individual outcomes, but also working in my role as the chief medical information officer of population health at Providence, which is what I did before Collective Medical, I got an opportunity to use a bunch of technologies to better support that population health perspective. So from an economy of scale, not just doing right by one patient, but doing right by a large group, increasing access to care, quality of care, but also um, reducing the cost of care. And Collective Medical for me and my Providence position was really the first technology to bridge both gaps and to help both an individual and at a population health level. So after spending time using the technology, there was an opportunity to actually drive it from a uh, the company perspective. And I joined them uh, roughly two and a half years ago. I think, I think Collective Medical kind of got going in the hospital I was born in. Um, in Spokane is that Sacred Heart, right? 2009? You got it. That was uh, really, really our first installation where Providence showing the, the, the kind of focus on innovation um, and, uh, and essentially insight that still exists today looked at their, you know, the pejorative is the frequent flyers, but it's also often called high utilizers, but frankly are complex patients that were in and out of their emergency room, not going to the right set of care and not getting the right care in the emergency department, not because the ED physicians and the care providers and that ED didn't want to provide that to them, but they weren't equipped to because it was often the more primary care oriented or longitudinal care items that they were so often going to that emergency room for. So Providence looked at this problem, looked at the patients that it was caring for and said, how can we serve these patients better? And one primary way was to connect the emergency departments so that they are starting to understand that multiple of them were doing the same set of things to patients, that this siloed care needed to end. And 
It started in Sacred Heart, maybe on the day you were born. Now I, I think you're older than <laughs> Likely, likely so. No, I, several, several years before. Yeah, I was really quite impressed w- with that. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a medical guy. I'm, I'm just a host. I ask the razor sharp, incredibly inquisitive questions, obviously, but. But otherwise, you know, I don't know. I just kind of assume that everybody who's ever had a computer was able to access information about anyone they want, um, you know, even if they're a patient. So I was I was really taken by how hard it was for ERs to share information about patients, especially ones with complex needs. Um, And I didn't realize the scale of which it was happening. So I just I think it's amazing that pinpointed that at a very specific time, obviously, and, and kind of what was going on in the world. And we're able to really, you know, make that kind of progress was just, uh, it was, it was fun to read about for uh, for a knucklehead like me trying to catch up on something, something smart. I think it is striking for most people to realize how much medical care is based on medical uncertainty versus medical necessity. Uh, I would say that it's probably depressing to hear how often we make medical decisions, we order tests based on what we don't know versus what we do know. And in particular, the emergency department uh, is at the forefront of that because you add an additional element, which is time. Very different from in a primary care office where you have a closed-door encounter, a period of time, there is not a trauma happening behind the curtain in the next space. In the emergency department, workflow and speed, time to care is incredibly important. And as a result, their ability to spelunk into the uh, emergency medical record, to uh, look into EPIC or into the EPIC Care Everywhere function, to find additional records that may or may not support that patient is hard. So it's both critical to interconnect the hospital so they're sharing data, but also make it accessible at the point of care, which is a a core piece of our functionality and focus. Jeff Stolte, thank you for coming back to the podcast. You've been on this program before, but for folks hearing you for the first time, You're a recognized speaker and leader in the healthcare venture capital space, where you have 15-plus years of investment experience in medical technology. You're currently a partner with Providence Ventures, where you help build and now manage a $150 VC fund on behalf of Providence St. Joseph Health, which is a $23 billion healthcare system. Um, That's just a little bio housework there for you, Jeff. Um, So, Jeff, Collective Medical was already a part of Providence before Ben came along. Um, it's been a part of the system for a little while. You've had hospitals uh, successfully using it um, um, for, 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 for a while. Um, were you involved with Collective Medical uh, before before Ben came on board? Thanks, Pat. Uh, it's great to be back on the program and, and talking to one of my favorite entrepreneurs in healthcare, no less, in uh, Dr. Z. Sorry, I've, I've never called him that in my life. I'm not going to start today. <laughs> Apparently, it's okay. You can call him whenever you want. <laughs> I'll call him Ben Zaniello, which is what I always call him uh, when we're on good speaking terms. Um, so I, I actually, uh, and I think Ben and I joined the organization not too far apart. So I've, I've been with Providence St. Joseph Health for about four and a half years now. And um, actually had not been doing much work um, or wasn't familiar with uh, collective medical before I met Ben. And, and so maybe it's, uh, you know, kind of the origin story starts with my fateful meeting with Ben 
And, you know, as background in my role as a partner at Providence Ventures, an important part of my job is to build deep relationships with key strategy leaders across our parent organization, which is Providence St. Joseph. And at last count, we have over 115,000 employees. So that can be a daunting task. Um, you know, I tend to focus, I and our team tend to focus our time with individuals that sit atop the major strategy areas of our health system from operations and finance to clinical program services and population health. And when I started at the organization, Ben was part of Providence St. Joseph Health's population health leadership team, as you point out. We had an early chance to look at some companies together because he's an entrepreneur by heart and was closely involved in the broader innovation work happening um, on, on the floor that I work. And so it was you know, serendipity, so to speak, uh, that we were able to meet. And Ben is exactly the type of colleague that I gravitate to. He's pragmatic, but entrepreneurial. We share a common passion for medical informatics, which you can't say for everybody in, in the US. Uh, he's an accomplished physician, as you point out, but really started his career building software and has a great business mind. And I don't want to embarrass him further or further pat the ego, but I, I see him as a bit of a unicorn and was lucky enough to count him as a close colleague from early on. And we were lucky to have him, but I'm pleased that we get to keep working together in his capacity as uh, chief medical officer at Collective Medical, you know, which is one of our newer portfolio companies. He's really the one who helped me understand the deep value in what they are doing for the healthcare industry. So was Ben CMO when you when you first started to have these initial conversations and, and get involved, or or did you and your team sort of ask him um, to come on board? How did how did that how did the timing of that kind of work out? He was not. Um, as I mentioned, he was, um, I, I think it's safe to say, a full-time uh, employee of Providence St. Joseph Health. Ben was working, as he mentioned, closely with Collective Medical, and so getting to know that company and their value proposition for himself. And I think the unique um, perspective that he you know, had at that time was he was touching base with the frontline users of Collective Medical's initial rollouts, which, you know, Fortunate for us, we're um, largely within the Providence Health, uh, Providence St. Joseph system. And so I think he learned the technology from the inside out. And as I got exposed to the work he was doing with them while he was with Providence, um, we, we, from pretty early on, started talking about the promise this company had and, and the fact that I wanted to keep it on our radar as a potential investment. Jeff, do you, um, do you believe or think um, that we are at a transformative moment in healthcare right now, are are you know are ma- macro issues like like you know as Ben mentioned, costs and rising costs, and, and then the more micro issues like um you know our specific opioid epidemic. Are these things forcing a necessary but difficult transition in how medicine is pra- practiced? You know from you know, from your perspective. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the cost and and you know epidemics like the opioid. Um, you know, drug-seeking behavior that's hitting so much of our population. I mean, these are existential threats to the practice, but more importantly, the sustainability of of our healthcare systems. And I I won't retread the data on this call, but the cost of delivering healthcare has been on an unsustainable path for decades. Uh, And over the past seven to 10 years, those pressures have mounted from many angles to help rein in that cost, both from the federal government, you know, CMS, Medicare, Medicaid, and also I think you know, health systems have woken up as we transition from traditional fee-for-service care delivery, which relies so heavily on volumes and utilization, to, as Ben alluded alluded to earlier, um, a much more thoughtful approach to population health and really 
demonstrating value for, for this incredible amount that we spend on healthcare as a, as a country. So, you know, sadly, I would say words like transformation, uh, I mean, have been thrown around our industry for a long time. And so th this is not exactly a problem that has crept up on us. I think one needs only to look at the percentage of the GDP that healthcare um, uh, substantiates and, and, and understand that we've had a growing problem for a long time. I do think that we're at a unique inflection point in terms of a lot of the forces I mentioned earlier converging to really drive true innovation and true transformation. And so it's a massive tanker ship that we have to turn here in the United States with regard to healthcare. So it's not going to happen overnight, but, but certainly, you know, companies like Collective Medical are, are helping us do that. Um, if, if I can add to that, what uh, I've been really struck by and why I think the synergy behind Collective Medical and Providence Ventures and Providence uh, St. Joseph's Health as an enterprise is so powerful is that so much of that cost-cutting concern ultimately rides on the backs of physicians and frontline providers in general, the nurse practitioners, PAs, nursing staff, et cetera, and the expectation that potentially to reduce costs in healthcare, they need to do less with patients, order fewer tests, uh, spend less time, increase uh, output, et cetera. And what I think one of the wonderful synergies that we have had with Providence that as a health system, but also as an innovator, the recognition that we can't simply put pressure on providers to make changes. We actually need to support them and make their practice more efficient and more rewarding. And that's a big part of what Collective Medical does. I talked about that dichotomy before between medical necessity and medical uncertainty. Naturally, Physicians don't like to operate with medical uncertainty. They would like to form their diagnosis and treatment plan based on information, not on guesswork. So having the information that Collective Medical provides in front of them, the, the multiple diagnoses a patient has had, the encounters they've had, prescription drug information, any sort of complexity that could potentially affect clinical decision-making, providers to reduce their own burnout, their own stress within their care, alleviates a lot of that by having more information. And one of those alignments between Providence and Collective Medical was that Providence wanted to reduce costs and decrease efficiency. But the way to do that was to better support providers rather than put the onus on providers to do a lot of this on their own. Thank you for that, gentlemen. Ben, how, how does the CMO and the VC relationship work with uh, specifically with, with uh, Jeff and the team at Providence Ventures? How do, how do you guys work together? Sure. I think I can say from having lived on the inside uh, that innovation in a health system is hard. And it's actually hard for very good reasons that this is not, uh, you know, selling a better widget. This is not a faster factory. This is healthcare. Lives are at stake. Important decisions are made. And consistency 
is almost as important as innovation. So therefore, to have the innovation in the health system, you need someone that has the relationships, has the information, has the perspective on how to do things in healthcare, how to do things in a particular health system in a expedient and safe way. And I think what I have been so struck by in my time working with Jeff in particular, but Providence Ventures in general, is the ability for them to support us in navigating that health system and understanding where we can better add value, where we can overcome roadblocks that have not, that don't exist because of malfeasance or bad actors, but simply exist because healthcare is hard. Health systems have a lot of moving parts and relationships and insight into the business is really important. And that not only helps us at Providence itself through Jeff and Providence Ventures work, but also at other health systems. What for me, a key differentiator and why it was important for Providence Ventures to participate in our funding was not simply because they they effectively helped birth collective medical and a lot of our DNA and practice is based on our experience with them. And not only because they can help us expand within Providence and think of additional use cases for our, for our technologies, but because Providence is real care. It reflects, based on its community hospitals, now in six states, how medicine is practiced through the majority of the country, both urban and rural settings. It is not an academic institution. It does not breathe rarefied air. This is real medicine happening every day. And by being able to succeed in the Providence environment, to be able to speak to the frontline physicians at Providence, not just the frontline physicians at academic institutions, is really, really important for success in healthcare. And Providence Ventures has supported us both doing it Providence itself, but by doing that at health systems like them across the country. Jeff, from the investor perspective, what impresses you most about Collective Medical's approach to running their company? Yeah, I mean, let me let me start by saying I, like many folks in the venture capital industry, we look at hundreds of companies a year, and it's remarkable to me how many of them are trying to enter healthcare with a big bang approach that entails a very complicated value proposition, or in the worst cases appears to be a vanity project to show off how technically intelligent a founding team is. And, you know, taking the audience back to sort of the 2005 to 2010 timeframe, we were in the midst of a massive influx of capital and a federal mandate to deploy core information technology systems across the U.S. healthcare system. The rapid deployment of enterprise electronic medical records is sort of the poster child for this movement, but it wasn't just EMRs. It was a lot of different sort of source systems and operational systems that were being deployed in that time frame. And they were long overdue. I mean, we are, you know, heralded as an, as an, as an industry that despite the importance of the work that we do and the care that we deliver to our patients has long been underfunded from an information technology perspective. And I'm overstating this a little bit for a dramatic effect, but the industry basically went from paper and pencil and fax machine and beeper um, ben, I think you still were a paper, if I'm not mistaken, and, if, and it schooled me on why that's still important. 
to, to a software-enabled um, industry in very short order. But when you take an industry as complex as healthcare, from analog to digital in that manner, you end up with natural stovepipes of data and limitations to the effectiveness of workflow in our, in our complex clinical settings and our operations that span not just inpatient and ED, but many outpatient settings um, in the post-acute workflow. So EMR deployment was essential to helping healthcare organizations set the table for more coordinated care, but they generally are transactional systems in nature. Flash forward now, the last seven to 10 years, we've seen a new wave of healthcare IT entrants doing their best to help rationalize this messy flow of information. And, you know, back to your original question, sorry to be long-winded on it, Pat. I mean, I view collective medical as part of this new wave and either by luck or by design, and it's a really humble management team that I think would attribute their success to both. They attack the problem in a practical way, focusing on a big issue, namely ED overutilization and the opi opioid epidemic, which often presented itself in the ED setting, to lay the groundwork for their solution. And the networks of cooperative payers and providers in the initial markets they served, including many of the markets that form the basis for Providence, given all of those groups were aligned in solving these key problems is also unique. And so now that they've successfully expanded these networks nationally in many cases, they're looking to more broadly, they are looking more broadly into other areas of care coordination, notably in the post-acute setting to help reduce unnecessary rehospitalization and to help around other high value business cases. So I just love their approach and their team from top to bottom. It's, 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 it's good to hear. Um, Ben, um, you're also, among many things, as, as mentioned earlier, a technologist, and there's obviously a lot going on with collective medical beyond just the healthcare side of that business. There's a ton of technology involved. So how do you go about developing your technology? I'd, I'd love to follow up with Jeff said about technology in healthcare. Because I think it is fair to say that um, at, at worst, healthcare is still in its incubation stages with technology and the opportunity there. And at best, um, given the, the presence of medical records now in most health systems, we're at 1.0, maybe if we're lucky, 2.0 in, in technology. But just for perspective, when I, I Graduated Stanford in 97 at the heart of the internet economy. I uh, went to work for an enterprise software company. And day one, I was handed an alphanumeric Motorola pager that I think everybody would recognize, if not from doctors carrying them, then from drug dealers carrying them. About 14 years, 15 years later, I started residency after having worked in software for years and deciding that I wanted to go back and go to medical school. I started residency. On that first day of residency, I was handed the exact same alphanumeric Motorola pager that I had been handed 14 years before. Absolutely no difference except the fact that the drug dealers themselves had moved on from that technology and were using cell phones, but in medicine, we weren't. So, of course, that, uh, that huge gap in technology speaks to an opportunity, and both Providence Venture and Collective Medical is focusing on that opportunity about how to bridge that technology gap. 
Jeff talked a little bit about being realistic. I, I talk about the idea of playing small ball, that we're not going to necessarily Uberize this industry overnight, and we have to focus on tackling real problems with real solutions. That's why in our early days and still today in many hospitals across the country, we actually push our data, our curated, actionable information about that patient that that physician is about to see, whether it's in an emergency room, a post-acute uh, behavioral health center. We will often do it via fax or a dedicated printer. And I think a lot of people listening to this may react in horror that so much is still happening over a fax in an emergency room or a hospital. But that is the reality of the situation. And at the end of the day, the important thing is to provide that actionable information into workflow, into the hands of the provider, and to focus less on the actual modality for how it gets there, whether it's, you know, uh, through, through text message, through pager, whatever, just get it in front, get it at the right place in the right time to create better care. Thank you for that. Um, so Jeff, general thought here. Um, in order to invest in something, you need to understand it, obviously, and see a, a plan of some kind that is believably viable and actionable, obviously, on many different levels. But how deep in the weeds should an investor go? How much awareness is helpful and how much is too much? For example, um, do you know what kind of code your companies write and the platforms they use for creating their technology? Um, things like things like that. Should you are you involved at that level of detail as an investor? Oh, you know, since we're talking about talking to Ben and talking about collective medical, I mean, I'll use that as a, a pretty prototypical example. I mean, I've built my awareness of Ben's company over a couple of years before investing, so it wasn't you know. Let's hear a pitch, and, and six weeks later, we're writing a check. I mean, there are funds who do that. There are industries where that's more common, and you know, there's a short fuse on investment opportunities. Um, in this case, I'd gotten to know both the team and the technology, and how it was helping Providence St. Joseph um, serve our patients and our and treat our clinicians better um, over a couple of years. So it started with really gaining a deep understanding for the business case they were addressing and the incredible results and market pull that they generated from their initial launch, which as we mentioned, you know, one of those initial sites was within our province, St. Joseph Health System in Spokane. And the fact that our organization was an early anchor customer and the two of their most penetrated states initially in Washington and Oregon are key operating geographies in our seven state health system. Uh, it led to lots of discussions with physicians and others at the front line. And obviously, my relationship with Ben matured while he was still here and continues to do so as he's taken the role at CMT to really deeply understand the solution. So once Collective Medical decided to raise a significant funding round and Providence Ventures was invited to be a part of their syndicate or at least invited to engage in due diligence, um, we did what we always do, which is to examine and work to understand nearly every facet of the company and their market opportunity. So that's the, that's the fun part of what I do. I get to, you know, take the MBA from the classroom into the real world and quite frankly, have to put on a lot of different hats, everything from, you know, HR, can I get along with this management team? Do I like them? Do I think I can, my voice will be heard? Um, are they going to work hard? Are they going to lead a quality culture within their company to, 
deep into their financial model and their business assumptions around market size and you know their pricing and product expansion. And as you allude to, I mean, to the technology that, that, um, that they use. And in CMT's case, and, and often in the companies we're investing in, they are at a growth stage where they're going from initial deployment. CMT was a little bit more mature um, than a couple of the other companies we've invested in today. And so they had already demonstrated scale, but this is a company that has national aspirations. And that means hundreds, if not thousands of hospitals, tens, if not all 50 states. Um, and, and that kind of scale when you're deploying technology portends a certain amount of sophistication um, to the software that's being deployed. So when it comes to technology diligence to your, you know, to part of your question, Given the scale of those aspirations, um, I assure you, I rely on the expertise of others. I have a dated technical background, um, and I can keep people honest and ask reasonably intelligent questions. But um, for something as serious as, as we take our investments of capital on behalf of Providence St. Joseph, I rely heavily on the expertise of my co-investors, their consultants, um, you know, our team's expertise, our internal technology team's expertise. I'm, I'm actually loath to admit that my first title at the first healthcare IT startup I worked at was, quote, you know, software engineer. My knowledge of modern coding techniques is about 20 years dated. So I assure you, Ben and his team will be nowhere near their code. I think it's good for young investors to hear it. Um, you know, ones who are interested in trying to do what you do. Um, ben, I always ask this. Um, what would you say to young innovators with specific ideas for making our healthcare system better? What, uh, what should they do to increase their chances for success? I think the hardest thing for an entrepreneur with a lot of ideas and the kind of willingness to push it through is actually to listen. I think what I am so struck by um, about successful people, successful investors and entrepreneurs in healthcare is that they are often very good listeners it is that listening skill that has caused them to find the problem that they have a solution for. It is that listening that also helps them develop that solution. It's also, frankly, a tribute to Jeff that he is, for me, always one of the best sounding boards for thoughts, questions, problems that I have in my career, but also with collective medical, uh, just a personal anecdote from Jeff and my long relationship at Providence. But when I was... Should I, should I, should I be afraid? <laughs> no, this is entirely positive, which was I was so struck by that I could invite as an innovator at Providence, as a doc in Providence, I could always feel good about inviting Jeff to any meeting I had because I knew that he was going to be respectful that I knew he was going to listen to what the people in the room had to say, their concerns and issues, because he rightly viewed them as opportunities. And I think that type of personality, that type of skill is really important for success in any industry, in life, in marriage, et cetera, but particularly in healthcare. So just quickly here, um, what's next for uh, Collective Medical? Um, you know, I'll just let either you, you or, or you, Jeff or, or, or Ben, you know, throw something out here. Uh, uh, will you continue to evolve 
the technology you have? Are there other sort of products or ideas in the works? What are you, what are you looking at down the road? Yeah, I think actually Jeff alluded to this earlier um, very succinctly. When I talk about that, we have two key pathways. So one is the expansion of our national network, looking at that core emergency department care coordination use case and looking across the 20 states that we are already wiring and the other 30 that we need to wire to really speak to a national network, as we know full well that patients don't know geography as the hospital across the street from them, but potentially across straight lines, uh, across coasts. That's one piece. The second piece is recognizing that emergency department care is only one piece of the care continuum. And in fact, to keep people from having to go to the emergency department to right-size, right-place care, you need to bring together the other parts of the care continuum. Jeff alluded to this earlier. This is the post-acute space. So when someone is discharged from the emergency room or from the hospital, ensuring that that transition of care has the reduction of medical uncertainty as someone entering the emergency department has in our current technology. It's bringing in behavioral health, particularly as we talk about the opioid epidemic. It's not simply enough to say, well, we'll stop writing scripts for opioids in the emergency department for these at-risk patients. At the end of the day, these people have pain needs. The majority of seekers of opioids are not doing it because they're bad actors, because of malfeasance, but because they are in actual pain. So one of the things we need to think about, the onus that is on us, is to provide them somewhere else to go. So that transition of care, the person seeking help for their pain in the emergency department, then needs to be led to another aspect of the care continuum, which is the behavioral health clinics. So that has been a second pathway for us, which is expanding the participants in our network. Thank you, Jeff Stolte and Dr. Benjamin Zaniello, or Dr. Z, or Ben, or Baz, for being on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Jeff, I'll see you in LA, buddy. Bye. That's the conclusion of this episode of Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, or just want to tell us you think we're simply out of this world, please do check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Until next time, thank you for listening.